Over the past several decades, physicians have increasingly recognized the importance of involving patients in treatment decisions. But the amount of responsibility given to the patient in shared decision-making can vary widely, and it often isn't matched to the clinical circumstances that underlie the decision. I'm Stephen Morrissey, Managing Editor of the New England Journal of Medicine, and I'm talking with Terry Freed, a professor of medicine and a geriatric medicine specialist at the Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Freed has written a perspective article about rethinking the way physicians share decision-making with patients. Dr. Freed, you write in your article that when there's uncertainty about the best course of action, physicians can model for patients how to think about the available information and how to incorporate areas of uncertainty. So what does that kind of conversation look like? Well, I think the most important piece of that conversation is for physicians to elicit from patients what matters to them and then to show them how that helps them reason through the parts of the decision that they're not so sure about. So, for example, a patient's attitude toward uncertainty might be a really important part of the decision. If the patient is okay with, for example, not being sure about what's going to happen, the physician may say that a watchful waiting approach could be the right decision for that patient. Alternatively, if the patient has very strong feelings toward an outcome that we're not sure about, but there's a chance might occur, that could influence decision-making to minimize the likelihood of that undesirable outcome happening for the patient. You also write that it may make sense for physicians to be most cautious about making treatment recommendations when the largest amount of data is available, that in those cases, eliciting patients' preferences is especially important. Why is that? Well, I think what happens is that when there's a lot of certainty surrounding the likely outcomes of a treatment, it's easy to think that we as physicians have the right answer. Right? If we know what's going to happen to somebody with a fair degree of certainty, then it seems like we should know what we ought to recommend for the patient. The problem with that approach is that right answer very often, again, depends on what's important to the patient. So that, for example, if we know with certainty that some outcome is very unlikely to occur, if that outcome is nonetheless very important to the patient, that has to be weighed heavily into the decision about the right course of action to take. So in those cases, how do you as a physician ensure that patients get the right amount of information so that they can make an educated decision? The answer to that question is specific to the clinical circumstance. What I mean by that is that there are certain more common decisions where there are several reasonable treatment options, and we have a lot of information about those options. There are formal decision aids that present the information to the patients about the likely outcomes of the different treatment choices, and then actually help the patient work through those treatment options. A good example of that is atrial fibrillation, for which there are several reasonable choices, and the decision aid helps the patient reason through those choices. It's been shown that using those kinds of aids really can help clarify for the patient what their values are and help them be certain that they're making the right decision. That's not available for all decisions. When a decision aid isn't available, then what the right thing is to do is to be explicit about considering all the treatment options 
and give the patient information, both what we think the likelihood is of doing for the patient what we're hoping to do, but also remembering we have to give them information about the adverse effects that might go along with that treatment choice. And then to help the patient reason through, similar to the decisions under uncertainty about what their values are and how that helps to inform what the right decision might be. Many of the so-called correct treatment approaches that are dictated by guidelines don't account for varying patient preference, as you note in your article. In those cases, is the problem the guidelines themselves or is it in the way that physicians are implementing them? That's a good question for which I'm not sure I have a perfect answer for you. I think in part it is a problem with the guidelines, but prompted from the right impulse that the guidelines want to be able to give the physician a course of action. It's a lot easier if one can look at certain characteristics of the patient and say, this is what we ought to do. Nonetheless, the guidelines do often make a sort of vague reference to incorporating the preferences of the patient. So it is still possible to work with existing guidelines, but to remember that there may be aspects about what the patient values. For example, in thinking about statin therapy, if the patient is having adverse effects from a statin, no matter what the likelihood is that it's decreasing the likelihood of an MI in that patient, the adverse effects may be so important to the patient that for that particular patient, it's not the right answer to prescribe a statin. What do you do if you think that a patient is making a particular treatment choice for the wrong reasons? That's a really, really good question. And there's been a lot written about that. It's a tricky issue. There are lots of reasons why patients may not reason through data accurately. They may, for example, be prompted by seeing a loved one have a rare but disastrous outcome and be swayed on that reason. They may, in fact, have irrational fears. In the end, we have to remember that patients' actions are likely going to be heavily influenced by those things, no matter what the physician recommendation is. I think the physician's responsibility is to understand what's prompting the patient to make that decision. It's the physician's responsibility also to give that patient accurate information and help the patient to see how that information may not square with that patient's direct experience. But in the end, patients vote with their feet, so understanding where the patient is coming from may help the patient and physician to negotiate an outcome that the physician, in the end, is more comfortable with because it will incorporate some of the more objective data involved in decision-making. All of that, and shared decision-making in general, takes time. How can health systems make the kinds of conversations you're talking about a priority, given the time pressures that you face? Another really, really excellent question. There's some evidence that spending the time to help patients be involved in decision-making leads to decisions that in the end saves the health system money. I would never advocate that that be the reason to do shared decision-making because it's the right thing to do regardless of whether in the end it saves money. 
However, recognizing that that's the case can sometimes serve as motivation for health systems to come up with more creative ways of creating the time and the space to involve patients in the decision-making process. The other thing that may help us is as the EHR or electronic health record becomes more prevalent, some of this can actually be built into the EHR. So for example, if we can risk stratify patients for a given outcome using data in the EHR, that can help facilitate a discussion, again, with the physicians being able to give patients information about likely outcomes to allow them to reason through what's most important to them. Finally, you've talked about the need to match the responsibility that's given to the patient to the clinical circumstances of the disease. Do physicians also need to tailor their conversations to the desires of the patients? Do some patients, for example, not want to be as heavily involved in decision-making as others? The answer to that is yes. There is variability in terms of how involved the patients want to be in the decision. However, there's almost near uniformity in a desire for information. So the fact is, it is almost always the case that patients want more information about the different treatment options. After being given that information, it is true that patients will have variable desire in terms of whether they want to make the final decision. Nonetheless, I think that the issues that I write about in this perspective hold regardless of how much control the patient wants to retain about making the final decision. Because if, for example, the patient wants the physician to make the decision, the physician still needs to make sure that when there's certainty about outcomes, he or she is still taking into account how the patient values those different outcomes when the physician is going to be making a treatment recommendation to the patient. Thank you, Dr. Freed.